0: And now we pray that God speaks to you in a personal way as you listen to this week's message from Pastor Adam Camp. Good morning. Adam had every intention of being here today, uh, but they are quarantined. There's a couple sick in their household, but they are doing better, and he plans on being back next week. So you guys can just continue to pray for them. Uh, that just continues to, to go away in their house, along with so many others who are currently uh, experiencing sickness. So if you don't know me, um, John Oliver, I'm one of the pastors here at Rosemont. It is my honor uh, to to open God's Word with you this morning. You can go ahead and turn to Luke chapter 2. That's where we're going to be here in a little bit. Um, that really, in my opinion, as we have been talking about missions, I think there's no uh, no greater example right here. Then in Luke 2, and, and you're going to look at that, open up to it, and you're going to say, man, that's, uh, that's a Christmas story. Well, you might be listening to Christmas music when you leave here today. I, I hope not, but uh, we're going to dive in there. But, you know, we've heard over the last several weeks just powerful testimonies of, of what God is doing in and through the people here at Rosemont, what God is doing all over the world, how our people are choosing to do something with their lives for the glory of God and do it somewhere strategic for the mission of God. And how we all have a role to play in that. And so what we hope you're hearing is that each and every one of us as we sit here this morning um, have something to contribute to the mission of God in the world. And and it begins in your home, begins at the dinner table, and works itself out to the ends of the earth. And so as we talk today and, and as we wrap up our time today, I just want you to be considering of where where is God calling you? Where is God calling you? Where do you need to be more intentional? Maybe it's Maybe it's at home, maybe it's at the dinner table, maybe it's in your profession. Uh, Maybe God's calling you somewhere, maybe God's laying somewhere on your heart over these past few weeks as we've talked about different places locally and nationally and internationally. So just be thinking through those things and uh, we're going to go ahead and pray and then we will jump in together, all right? Let's bow our heads. Most gracious Heavenly Father, we come before you, your kids, and we thank you for, God, we thank you for who you are. We thank you that right here in this moment, that as we approach you, we know with full confidence that you are on your throne and and the earth and all that is in it, everything that we've spoken about and everything we haven't, Lord, is in your care. You care intimately for the details of our lives. You care about your mission And you care how we fit into that, Lord, and uh, God, we're just grateful. Lord, help us now as we we read your word, as we talk about things that matter to you. May it penetrate our hearts, and may we leave here looking more like your son, Jesus, is in your son's holy name, that is above all names we pray. Amen. You know, if you were to be terminally ill and have a conversation with a doctor, and they were to give you a clean bill of health for the sole purpose of making you feel better about your day-to-day outlook, where you weren't worried about sickness, I think you'd have a huge problem with that. Because you and I both know in that moment we would be living a lie, right? We'd be, we would be believing in untruth. What we choose to believe, whether it be true or untruth, has eternal consequences in our own lives, in our home, and the people that we do life with. It changes our behavior, what we believe. It changes our outlook. It changes the way we choose to live. You know, a few weeks ago, as I stood in the pulpit, we, we opened up God's Word to Deuteronomy 6, and we read about the fact that we're to love the Lord with all of our heart, with all of our soul, with all of our mind, and all of our strength, that it's a it's an all-encompassing love. We also saw Jesus' words in John 14, 15 that says, if you love me, you'll do what I say. If you love me, you'll keep my commands. And so the thing I want to remind us of as we get started is this, that the belief in God always leads to obedience to God. When we believe in God, it always leads us to obedience to God. God doesn't desire half-hearted fans. He wants wholehearted followers. The Bible would speak to the concept of a half-hearted Christian as being a lukewarm Christian. In Revelation chapter 3, we see where Jesus is criticizing a church that's full of believers who are neither hot nor cold. uh, J.D. Greer said that basically what Jesus is saying is, for for just a practical example for us, is I like hot coffee and I like cold brew, but if you give me lukewarm coffee, I'm going to spit it out. The truth is that we all have habits that make us look like lukewarm Christians, I'm at the front of the line, and sometimes we do things that make us look like lukewarm Christians. It's part of the reason we see so many people, when they talk about the church, and we talk about Christ followers, they reference us as hypocrites. And to that, we should say there's always room for one more. Scripture says in Romans 3.23 that all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God, and Paul later says in think Romans 8, what shall we say then? Shall we go on sinning so that grace may multiply? He says, absolutely not. And so basically what those things mean is we're all going to continue to struggle in sin. We're all going to continue to wage war in sin, but that we shouldn't just continue in sinning just because we know we've been forgiven through Christ. I tell students all the time, Jesus is not your get out of hell free card. A lukewarm Christian this morning would be any one of us that would say, I want to keep doing what I want, I just don't want to pay the penalty for what I want. To put it another way, it's when we don't really want to be saved from our sin, we just want to be saved from the penalty of our sin. But I want to be very clear that I'm not saying that if we sin, we don't belong to Christ. If that were true, then none of us would have very much hope this morning. We do know from Scripture that all of us will fall short of God's glorious standard for holiness. And so I'm not speaking to perfection. I'm not speaking to a life of perfection. What I am speaking to is the fact that Christ is our perfection. He's taking our place on, place on the cross. But when we call someone a Christian just because they do Christian things, right, just because they do good things, we, we give people false hope. We've given them a false diagnosis of their eternity. And God is not interested in our morality, God is interested in our holiness. And so we can be really good at confessing our sin, but if we fail to repent of it, we're not really seeking a relationship with the Lord, we're just seeking the benefit of a relationship with the Lord. And we ought to question our salvation this morning if we find ourselves in that place. God doesn't want what's left of us at the end of the day, God desires a wholehearted devotion he wants wholehearted followers and not half-hearted fans the more time I spend in God's Word the more I'm convinced that to call ourselves Christians and not be fully devoted to Christ is ridiculous if we love him we will do what he says and you might be thinking this morning that's a little bit harsh to tell me that I need to question my salvation this morning I hear all these stories about God calling people to the nations and God calling people to do this or that, but you just don't understand that's not me. And I'll tell you this morning, this hard thing, that was true for me for years. It was true for me for years. Matter of fact, from the age of seven until the age of 16, I ended every prayer with God, I'll do anything you want me to do, but I won't be a missionary and I won't be a pastor. And that worked out real well. Because I associated those things with having to die to myself. And I didn't want to. And what I have found is that lukewarm Christians call radical what Jesus demands of all of his followers. Lukewarm Christians, lukewarm people call radical what Jesus expects from all of us. James chapter 1, 22 says, "'Do not merely listen to the word and deceive yourselves, but do what it says. It's it's the simple truth. It's the simplest truth that our faith, what we choose to believe, demands obedience in our lives. Whether it's true or untrue, if we believe it, we do something about it. And so we're going to see that play itself out this morning in Luke chapter 2, specifically as we look at the shepherds. And so you can turn to Luke 2, 1 through 20, if you haven't already gotten there. And the angel said to them, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy, which will be for all people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, who is Christ the Lord. And this will be a sign for you. we will find the baby wrapped in swaddling cloths and lying in a manger. And suddenly there was with them an angel, multitude of the heavenly hosts, praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest and on earth peace among those But Mary treasured these things in her heart, pondering them. And the shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all they had heard and seen as it had been told them. And so in this passage, what we find is the shepherds encounter with the gospel, this good news of great joy. And so 8 through 10 says again, And in the same region there were shepherds out in the field, keeping watch over their flock by night. And the angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were filled with great fear. I mean, can you imagine? Just in the dark, in the night, and for this to appear. The angel said to them, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy, which will be for all people. And so as we look what is the good news in verse 11, for unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, who is Christ the Lord. And so good news of great joy for all people. We think through John three sixteen. for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believes in him would not perish but have everlasting life. I want you to make note of this this morning that the good news is for everyone but not everyone will believe. The good news is for all people but not everyone will believe. And the second thing I want you to note is that the good news is personal, that it's for you. Verses 12 through 14 says, and this will be a sign for you. You'll find a baby wrapped in swaddling cloths and lying in a manger, and suddenly there was with him an angel, a multitude of the heavenly hosts praising God and saying, glory to God in the highest and on earth peace among those with whom he is pleased. This message of the gospel is being proclaimed to the shepherds and the angels singing, glory to God in the highest and on earth peace among men with whom he is pleased. How do we please God? is what I think when I read that passage. Peace for those who please God, and and it's simple. This morning, the way we please God is by believing in faith in Jesus Christ for salvation and committing our life to Him. And when we believe the truth, we live like we believe the truth. And so we could say God's purpose in this is to give us peace, right? Peace with Himself, peace with others. And five times in the New Testament, what we find is God is called the God of peace in Romans 15. Romans 16, Philippians 4, 1 Thessalonians 5, and Hebrews 13. And Jesus himself says, my peace I give you in John 14. And Paul says of Jesus, Jesus himself is our peace in Ephesians 2. Pastor John Piper says, what this means for us is that the peace of God or the peace of Christ can never be separated from God himself or from Christ himself. If we want peace to rule in our lives, God must rule in our lives. Christ must rule in our lives. God's purpose for us is not to give us peace apart from himself. His purpose is to give you peace by being the most glorious person in your life. C.S. Lewis much earlier said that God cannot give you peace apart from himself because there is no such thing. We are unable to know peace apart from a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. And so the key for us to to keep these things together is to keep what the angels kept together, the glory of God and the peace to men. And so take note of this this morning, that if we have a heart that is inclined towards Jesus, if we have a heart that is inclined towards showing the glory of God, we will know the peace of God. If it is our desire to do something we love for the glory of God, somewhere strategic for the mission of God, we're going to be bent on showing the glory of God to the world, and we're going to experience a peace like no other. God's glory in us getting peace is simply given to us by believing in Christ for salvation. Romans 15, 13 says, May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing. believing. So the way God's promises become real for us and produce peace in us is just by believing the gospel in faith. And that's true whether we're talking about peace with God, peace with ourselves, or peace with others. And so this is what the shepherds are hearing. This message of the glory of God and peace to men with whom he is pleased, the multitude of angels, glory to God in the highest. And so immediately after the angels go away, you can imagine that moment of great shock and then as they're experiencing kind of after it's happened, like, man, did that, did that really just happen? Is they're having a conversation amongst themselves like, did you see that? Am I going crazy? All those things. What they've just seen. And So verse 15 through 16 says, when the angels went away from them into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, let us go over to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has made known to us. And they went with haste and found Mary and Joseph and the baby lying in a manger. One translation says, So they came in a hurry. It was urgent to them. Something the shepherds had to go and see for themselves to find Christ. 17 and 18 again says this, And when they saw it, they made known the saying that had been told them concerning this child. And all who heard it wondered at what the shepherds told them. They came and saw that just as it had been told them, it was. It was true. And so they affirmed Mary and Joseph, telling them the story of how the angel had come to them. Verse 18 says that they either spoke about it on the way to people or they spoke about it as they arrived to Mary and Joseph, but in either case, they were telling the truth to people as they went. Truth that they had seen, truth that they had heard, truth that they were personally experiencing in the moment. I mean, we think about Mary trusting and believing in faith. She'd known about this pregnancy for months. Better than anyone else, she understood it. The angel had come to her. The angel had come to Joseph. God had directed their steps all along the way. They'd just experienced and seen this glorious birth. And God allows the shepherds to find them, to affirm in them, hey, everything that I've talked to you about for the last nine months, it's true. Everything that you've experienced from me, it's true. Just as I have said it. And Mary, with all of this knowledge, begins to understand and and marvel at these truths. What God has revealed to her. And God has chosen to work in her. And how he's allowed her to be a part of that. God's plan for your life is not just for him to live within you, but for him to work through you for his glory, for your good and for the good of others, right? The gospel comes to us because it's headed to someone else. The gospel came to the shepherds because it was headed to others. The gospel came to the disciples because it was headed to others. Every time the gospel has come to anyone in human history, it's because it's headed to someone else. And I look at our church and I I look at our student ministry and, and you know those moments where you have in life and you think, God, how, how are you letting me do this? How are, how are you using me? How are you allowing me to, to, to be a part of this? There's often times where I hear students have these revelations where the light comes on and you know it's never going to go off again and you, and you think, well, God, I didn't, I didn't say it that way, but they got it that way, and so God, thank you for using me in that way. Because who, who am I? Who are we? But the promise is that it's not because of how good we are or how bad we are. It's because of how good God is that we're able to be used for his glory and for his purposes. And so in the same way for us, for, for you, God exists in you to glorify himself through you. And you'll be amazed at what he can accomplish in you when you will follow him with your whole heart. And you just quit being a fan. God wants wholehearted followers, not half-hearted fans. Verse 20, the shepherds returned glorifying and praising God for all they had heard and seen just as it had been told him. You know, the shepherds are really the first evangelists. The good news of great joy that came to them, they heard and they took immediate action upon hearing. They had no choice but to praise and glorify God for all they had seen, all they had heard, and all they were experiencing because it was just as it was told them it was true. And it was the gospel message as They is. It didn't have any add-ons to it. There was no subtractions from it. They didn't travel telling people that if you believe that this child is who he is, you're going to experience wealth and health, and you're going to be prosperous in your life. They didn't say, hey, this guy's going to agree with everything that you think. He's going to agree with everything that you say. If you want it, you can go do it. And that's just all permissible. That wasn't the gospel. The gospel was that today in the city of David, a savior was born. He was in a lowly manger and it was a message of the glory of God and peace to men. And when that message, that urgent message is told is what it is, it will accomplish what it sets out to accomplish. But if we for one moment present it as anything other than the truth that it is, it only has the power to send people to hell. Because it's false. So the message that we ought to proclaim is that when you come to Jesus, you don't get all of these other things. When you come to Jesus, you get Jesus. John chapter 4, verses 27 through 35, Jesus has just got done speaking to the woman at the well. says, so Just then his disciples came back. They marveled that he was talking with a woman, but no one said, What do you seek, or why are you talking with her? The woman left her water jar and went away into town and said to people, Come see this man. He's told me all that I've ever done. Could this be the Christ? And they went out of town and and they were coming to him. Meanwhile, the disciples were urging him, saying, Rabbi, eat. But he said to them, I have food to eat that you don't know about. This always makes me laugh, because the disciples say, well, I mean, did you bring him food? Who brought him food? Like they had gone out on this mission to bring him food, and they get back, and he's like, I ain't hungry. Verse 35, do you not, There are yet four months that come, then the harvest. Look, I tell you, lift up your eyes and see the fields are white for harvest as these people are coming back to hear the gospel. This is a unique tie-in for me because I think the same urgency that we see the shepherds have with the gospel message is the same urgency Jesus speaks with here. Right, our version of urgency urgency is like same-day shipping. That's not the kind of urgency that make the shepherds leave their fields. That's not the kind of urgency that Abram left everything he knew at 75 years old to set out for a journey in faith. That's not the kind of faith and urgency that the disciples dropped their nets and followed after Christ in faith with. And I thought it would be a good tie-in with our Alaska video today just to kind of help drive the point home that in 1925 in Nome, Alaska, there was a diphtheria outbreak. Now, diphtheria, if you're unfamiliar, is a respiratory illness. We are familiar with those right now. And what diphtheria does is it causes your throat to swell to the point where you can't breathe and you suffocate. And in Nome, Alaska, in 1925, there's 10,000. The population is 10,000. In that 10,000, there's one doctor and there's four nurses. The closest antidote... The government found was 674 miles away in Anchorage, Alaska. Now, in today's world, that's no problem. We can get there and we can get back. We can save the day. It's not a big deal. In 1925 in Nome, Alaska, in the middle of winter, it was a 15 to 20-day journey. But this was urgent. There were thousands of people on their deathbeds, and it was affecting Children And so the men of the town got together and they raced day and night to deliver this antitoxin to save the lives of the children. And because of their urgency, it went from a 15 to 20 day journey. The men made it back in five days and seven hours. And because of the urgency that they brought that antitoxin back with of the 10,000 people, of the, ten, of the thousands of people that were laying on their deathbeds, only four people passed away. They called this the great race of mercy. And since 1973, they've celebrated that victory as the Iditarod, which is a dog sled race. They understood that it was urgent. They knew that the life and death nature of this disease. But church, we need to understand that every day in every country, in every region, in every state, in every town, and in every home. There are people dying without Jesus Christ. Separated from Him for eternity because of their sin condition. And as the church, we have the antidote to that sin problem. This good news of great joy is an urgent message. And it's the same truth that the shepherds heard all those years ago. That in the city of David, a Savior was born for you and for me. And that he was born to take down the dividing wall of hostility between God and man and to make peace. We have the antidote for sin. And it's urgent that we take it to the nations beginning at our dinner tables. Dads. Single moms. If you're not called to the nations, you are called to your family. But here's the reality is that that antidote was only a good antidote because it got there on time. In the same way, Carl Henry says that the gospel is only good news if it gets there on time. You know, all these refugees, Adam called our attention last week to the sovereignty of God. We trust the sovereignty of God and we understand that all of these things happening are, are under his control, that he sees all, he's in all, he cares about the details. But I want to call your attention to the fact that all these refugees that are coming over here from Afghanistan in these moments, yes, it is in part to provide protection for them, but I fully believe because our, the church has failed to go to the nations, God is bringing the nations to the church. The gospel comes to us because it's headed to somebody else. But lukewarm Christians call radical what Jesus demands of all of us. It is not an option that if we believe the truth of the gospel, then we ought to live according to that truth. What we've called radical, we should expect of ourselves. As the, as the worship team comes back up, I just want to tell you that Jesus' last words to the disciples were, go, make disciples, baptize, and teach. But he also gave a promise that I'll be with you wherever you go, whoever you come in contact with. But in order for us to take the gospel to the nations, we first have to experience the gospel for ourselves. And so this morning, if if you've never begun a relationship with Jesus Christ, I want to tell you this morning that God loves you. God loves you, but because of your sin, you are separated from a holy God who's created you for himself. And so God loves you, but sin separates you. Jesus rescues you. Jesus rescues you. The question for you is, what do you do with Jesus? Jesus.